Broccoli, you might know me as the guy that bought the rice and Jay's bar. Man, what a good idea that was. I made so much fucking money, you can't even understand how much fucking money I got. And think about the pussy. Oh my goodness, the pussy I got from the James Bond franchise. You guys don't even understand. It was a fucking beautiful time in my life. But uh, I'm glad you watched my movies. I'm glad you liked them. You liked them, didn't you? You, you, you had the weird fucking hair. What'd you think of it? I mean, my hair, okay. Um, it was good, it was good. Yeah, it was fucking good, wasn't it? What about yeah, you, yeah. dumb fuck? I, I mean, I, I liked it. I don't know, you have to insult me like that. Well, shut your mouth. Listen, you guys have been doing a great job. I'm glad you're promoting my movies. we got to make as much money as we can on these things. Now, there's a new movie coming out in the near future. Yeah? Yeah. It's a James Bond movie. Oh, okay. They're yeah, yeah. doing something a little different in this James Bond movie. Yeah. Uh, come here for a second. Yeah. Let me tell you. Yeah. It's going to be a lady. Oh, okay. Yeah. And she's going to be 007. Oh. Yeah, and then they're going to bring James Bond back into the picture, you yeah. see? Yeah. And then they're going to go out on a mission. They're going to get stuck in a, an elevator. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be a, the 90 minutes of this movie is going to be in an elevator that isn't moving. Okay, I don't know yeah. how that's going to work. It's going to be a very deep character study that's going to uh, culminate in them having very dirty sex in that uh, elevator. Uh, this is a Bond film. This is a James Bond movie, yes. I, I think you... This might be for a different kind of No, audience. no, no. What you got to understand is that we bought the entire James Bond catalog, okay? Now, Ian Fleming had to make money, and he wrote some uh, uh, James Bond stories for maybe some less than reputable magazines back in the day, and this is called The, the Cuntum of Solace. Uh, it, was a special, it was a special story for Stag... But uh, I think we've turned it into something really beautiful. And this just sounds like fan fiction? That you well, just... look, just because I found this in some deep subreddit doesn't mean that it's fan fiction. This is a legit writer who's looking to make a career. Look, I, you got to understand this is where we're going with this franchise. Anyways, I just wanted to stop by. Thank, thank you guys for promoting it. Uh, you guys, I know you're going to be big fans of Cunham Solace. Uh, I want you to come to theater. I'm not giving you tickets. So... Is, that a, is that a pun? What, is what a pun? Come, come to the theater? Come to the theater. Why the, would that be a pun? Uh, never mind. Look, just 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 come to the theater. Just come. Just come? Just come. You're not seeing it, are you? Uh, just, just come. Yeah. No? I don't know I'm what you're the, talking about. Okay. Look, I gotta go. You, okay. See you later. I've got so much pussy. Okay. I gotta go. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye, Mr. Broccoli. Yay. Fuck you. Bye. You get shit on more than I do a lot of times. Yeah, I know. Well, it's... They just see me and they know. They know I'm a target. They can I, they can feel it in their hearts. He knows you're a cauliflower fan. <laughs> this is a podcast, and I hope you're still listening after that horrible yeah, joke. Yeah, yeah. No, this is a podcast where we talk about British films, and it's called... For Screen... And Country. And I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. And this is a podcast where we talk about British... Oh, we already did we already that. already said that, yeah. This yeah. Is, uh, specifically, Jason, we talk about the British Film Institute... Top 100 British films of all British time mm-hmm. as cultivated in the year 1999. And this most British of British films that we will be inquiring about this week from a British director and starring a British gentleman. What <laughs> is that one. movie called, Brendan? It's number 34 on the list. We're talking about Gandhi. 1982's Gandhi, starring Ben Kingsley and a whole host of other British people. But before we get into Gandhi, before we get into Gandhi... We should talk. We should read some comments. We should read some comments from last week's film. Doctor No. Robin Hood, Little John, going through the forest. Sorry, Disney Plus is my life right now. It's a lot of Disney. Jason, we should read some comments about Doctor No because. 
much like the movie we're going to discuss this week, Gandhi, um, this obviously has a lot to do with Dr. No. Big political, uh, personal... Let me try that again. Big, big politically influenced person, Gandhi, James Bond, very similar. Um, Are you having a stream of consciousness uh, moment? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I am having a little bit of a stream of consciousness moment. 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 This is going to be a long shift. (laughs) A long shift? Yeah, no, I clock in when I walk into the uh, the room. (laughs) I meant to tell you that that doesn't work. That hasn't worked in years. But it makes that satisfying clunk. Sure. Yeah. Well, Well, James Parsons... Jason. What does he have to say about Dr. No? He says it's up there for its place in history, not its enduring qualities as a spy thriller. Hell, it took several entries in the franchise before they started using the Bond theme to score actual suspense instead of traditional scenes of Bond checking into hotels. <laughs> I know, it's like, it's like this, oh, look, a spy checking into a hotel. He's like walking to his room. Will that be one better too, Mr. Bond? One. Will you be getting any pay-per-view? Not this time. Wickham Clayton has only one thing to say. He says, it's no on Her Majesty's Secret Service, but it will do. And that's why I picked that comment. And I haven't watched that movie, I don't know remember the last time if I ever actually watched all of that. I remember a little bit because I remember where he looks at the screen and says, it's never happened to the other guy. That's my favorite. But that's uh, but otherwise apparently it's a very good one. Jason, that line I believe is this never happened to the other fella. This never happened to the other fella. I got you. I got you. He's an Australian. What do I expect? Uh, I'm going to read the next comment because it's short. Yeah, that's why I gave uh, it to you. Michael Lewis. That sounds familiar. Is he a famous runner? I think you're thinking of Ray Lewis. No, Michael Lewis was he an American runner at the Olympics? You're if, thinking of if you're if you're a very fast runner, Michael Lewis. Let us. You're know. You're thinking of Michael Clayton, the character George Clooney portrayed in the film Michael Clayton. You're thinking of Michael Connolly, the character that Liam Neeson portrayed in the movie Michael Connolly. You must be thinking of the Liam Neeson film Nell. I am. Okay. Michael Lewis says, as far as Connery movies go, I rank it below from Rush with Love and Goldfinger. Overall, I consider it a top ten Bond, but not a top five. Yeah, I, I'd probably put it somewhere, you know, in the it, it actually would probably be more in the middle of the pack on my list, but it's, it's still a solid film. It's definitely in my top twenty-five. All right. <laughs> uh, Kyle Joseph says. For me, perhaps the best in terms of movie quality overall is Casino Royale. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming he means the Daniel Craig one. <laughs> I sure fucking hope so. It adds a level of class and sophistication that I don't think exists at the same level in any other Bond movie. There are many that I love and find entertaining, but Casino Royale is elevated in a way that I don't think the others are, and is all around just a great film in addition to a great James Bond film. Like, I always felt James Bond movies, and by always I meant in the last 30 seconds, I've always felt James Bond movies were... Um, like, they, they were always James Bond movies. Like, they were always filmed kind of like James Bond movies. Like, they had their own particular kind of like... So what you're saying are they're James Bond movies. They're James Bond movies. But then Casino Royale was a movie that seemed to do a little more with filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And, and, and seemed to, like, embrace modern filmmaking techniques in a way that other Bond movies didn't. So what you're... I think what you're kind of saying is, like, movies like Goldfinger and Goldeneye and, like, the really good ones... Mm-hmm are doing really well in that realm of being a Bond movie, yeah, whereas Casino Royale kind of goes outside of that. Well, because, like, you go back and look at the one before Casino Royale, which was Die Another Day. Mm, great film. Movie, yeah, ter- wonderful, wonderful movie. Uh, I mean, terrible. I think that's what I meant. Yeah. Anyways, uh, that movie, like, like that looks like 
a James Bond movie, I guess, in the sense. But it, there's nothing that really stands out about it as far as how it, how it was filmed or, or anything like that. But then Casino Royale, they really went deep and like you have that black and white sequence at the beginning, and it's just it's very cool. It's a, and it was neat seeing that. And then I'm, I'm interested to see what they continue to do with that if they expand upon you know with newer filming techniques or if that or if that's their style now. Casino Royale is their style book. They're gonna go backwards. <laughs> yeah, gonna no, we're gonna, it's gonna look like a View to a Kill. It's gonna be a little fuzzy. And Grace Jones is going to be in it. All right. Which one am I reading here? This little one right here. Uh, Sharon Horwat? Sharon, Sharon Horwat. Sharon Horwat says, haven't seen it. So why are you commenting, Sharon? Sharon. But my guess is it's higher because it was first. I think you're right, Sharon. You know what? Forget what I said before. You're right, Sharon. Thank you. Sharon is one of our most frequent commenters, and she is lovely. And I will not have you disparage. I was wrong because I she may not have seen the movie, but it turned out she was right. So, like the Japanese army, as we discussed earlier, I am fine with that. As we discussed earlier, on off, the bus. Off, on the bus. <laughs> Jason, what are you talking about? We both took our limos here. I only you know make that. callbacks to things that the audience has no idea about. Um, Marty Galia, or Golia. I like Goliath because it's like Marty Goliath. Marty Goliath says, I think Goldfinger was the one that made 007 quote unquote a thing. Mm-hmm. There was Doctor No, then for Russia with from Russia with Love as a sequel, but Goldfinger established that we're talking series now, a big budget glossy series which was pretty unique. Except for the Thin Man, it seemed like most series movies quickly became B programmers. Example: Charlie Chan. Um, as a kid, the time between Goldfinger and Thunderball seemed to be the height of Bond mania and the impetus for about 500 Euro spy movies. Now, Brendan, I may just be an old-time country movie-watching boy. Of course you are. But uh, the fact is, is that until he mentioned it, I had no idea that The Thin Man was a series. Yeah, I didn't. I knew it was a movie. <laughs> I, I, yeah, exactly. I knew the movie existed. Isn't Orson Welles in that? Yeah. Or am I thinking of The Third Man? You might, I think that's the third man. Third man, thin man. Who gives a fuck? The it's third all, thin Iceberg, man. Iceberg, Goldberg, it's all the same to me. Yeah, Bill Iceberg. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Marty. Wait, thank you for that, your comment. Wasn't that just Glacier's gimmick? <laughs> Bill, Bill Iceberg. <laughs> Again, I was Iceberg. making a callback to a joke. Iceberg. Iceberg. That's a, I was making a reference to a joke I used to tell that I don't tell much anymore because it's not really uh, acceptable. But the idea was that... Uh, uh, a Chinese guy accuses a Jewish guy of uh, sinking the Titanic. And he's like, but that wasn't us. That was an iceberg. And he says, iceberg, Goldberg, it's all the same. Oh, rough. <laughs> also, I was going to make a joke that gla- uh, that Glacier's finishing move is probably called the ice pick, but I think that's what it, it was called. It might actually be called It that, was. Yeah. I remember. That's why it came into my head. Yeah, that's the problem sometimes with wrestling is that you try to make a joke about it, but they got to, they, they got there before you did. They got the dumb before I yeah. got there. You you take the next two. All right. Uh, Kent, Kent Hall. Mm. I think or maybe he's Dutch Ken Hall says uh, I have nothing but love for Dr. No but better than Goldfinger what have they been smoking I agree Ken that's silly that's their third podcast coming up by the way <laughs> what are they smoking <laughs> yeah what are they smoking that's... I'm so down for that <laughs> which, which would be us right it'd be the th- uh, well, me you Nathan we'll do a big crossover event We'd all just what are get they smoking really high we just get really high <laughs> and, and watch a good movie and then tell everybody why it's bad <laughs> Well, I was thinking we just try all kinds of different drugs, and then based on our reactions to the drug, we say, okay, what drug would I have been on to come up with this movie? Okay. So, so <laughs> mix it up. So, like, if we watched Crank, we wouldn't smoke meth, because that's what he does. No. He uses meth in Crank. We would, mm-hmm. like, do the opposite, so we'd, like, shoot heroin. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. It's going to be a, this, this podcast has a quite a big budget. It's a big budget, and it is going to be a nail-biter, folks, because there may not be a podcast <laughs> when we're done. 
So it may very well be the series finale. Seven episodes in, Jason died. (laughs) Oh, it'll be hilarious when I die on the podcast. Michael Pierce writes in. Michael says, Dear Jason and Brendan, he doesn't say that, it'd be the same as putting the first Mad Max movie on the list. Sure, it's solid, but the follow-up was ten times better. And again, I have to admit my, my terrible blind spots in film. I have seen the original Mad Max, but I have not seen the second Mad Max film. I have also seen the reboot Mad Max. That's the best Mad Max, as far as I'm concerned. Yes, but I have not seen the most well-known, uh, was a, uh, what's it called? Why can't I think of the name of it? Mad Max 2? It's not called Mad Max 2. It's called... The Road Warrior. The Road Warrior. <laughs> what a Max! And then what, Beyond Thunderdome? Sure. Is Tina Turner in that Yeah, one? because um, the Simpsons episode is called Beyond Blunderdome. Now, since... I love the new Mad Max, but I didn't think... Uh... Tom Jones. No, it's not Tom. Tom, Tom Hardy. Hardy. <laughs> Take two. Really liked uh, Mad Max a lot. Didn't think Tom Hardy was anti-Semitic enough for the role. He just didn't He just didn't have it. Didn't have an armband. He wasn't talking about all these terrible things. Wasn't living up to the previous Wasn't living up to the previous performance. You gotta carry everything over, including the actor's personal beliefs. Absolutely. Oh, boy. That's why nobody remakes Michael Ironside movies. <laughs> Wait, was Michael Ironside bad? Oh, he's a crazy, hardcore conservative. Oh, uh, that's, that's... But, I mean, just look at him. That's a it's sad... It's clear. Thing. Just look at the fucking guy. And now, don't get me wrong. I love Michael Ironside. We'll watch him in any movie he wants to You're be. You're horrible. Just look at him. <laughs> He's a he's a stereotype. Just look at his just look at his dumb conservative face. All right, Jason. Again, Michael. Sorry, I, your your politics suck, but you're an amazing actor, and I, I respect you so much for that. You you so join good. you join the ranks of people like James Woods. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, I don't know if he's as bad as James Woods. He, okay. I, I haven't heard of Michael Ironside being a dick on Twitter to people. So, Jason, this is our final step. We are going to go to the AFI Top 100, the American mm. Film Institute, and compare what their number 41 is to Dr. No, which is 41. 1979's Moonraker. Nobody. Stupid Americans. Nope. Number 41 is 1933's King Kong. Huh. I mean, both are solid movies, but, you know, again, I think I think the prestige of King Kong outweighs uh, Dr. No. As much as Dr. No is responsible for James Bond, we both agree that Goldfinger is the better movie. Mm-hmm. In this situation, I think just as a better movie all overall, King Kong is. I think it's got to be King Kong. It's got to be King Kong. King Kong is a classic. It's and a it's, a, it's a 1933 movie that you can still totally watch and enjoy. Yeah, no, and, and I did, because I didn't watch King Kong until about 10 years ago. I picked up when they did that nice DVD, like, uh, tin case. I got that in. Edition and it was quite lovely. Mm. It, was a, it looked great and it was an enjoyable film. Great. Mm. I'm glad for you. You should be. You should be happy that I enjoy these old movies that I haven't seen. I, I am. You're, you're, you're I mine. get the feeling that you're not. I get the feeling that you're either jealous or you, you've got something against my desire to learn about a film. You know what? Whatever. Let's just move on. Let's right. move on to this week's right. episode. Just, okay? just not a big deal. Just, just, no, Jason, Jason, just, just put it away. No, 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 Jason. Brennan? Jason? Put it away. So now we got to talk about this week's movie. Ladies and gentlemen, 
just want to start up this episode by saying I'm really glad uh, I cut stuff while we while our music plays because Jason would be canceled. Oh, don't say that. I'm I'm just you know I enjoy music. Mm. I love it. I love music. <laughs> uh, don't worry, it's nothing racist, guys. Um, Is it? No, I don't think so. Okay. He thought this movie was The Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> this movie's exactly The Lion King from start to finish. So. You're, you guys are going to hear this episode a little differently this time. We're, we're doing something a little different. We might as well let the, let them in on it. Yeah, this time we're going to just try. Maybe we're going to give us a quick rundown of the plot rather than an in-depth uh, walk through the movie. You yeah. can probably watch yourself. Or so it's I mean, not going to be a Sega Genesis uh, walkthrough no. of Sonic the Hedgehog. I'm telling you where all the secret rooms in Gandhi are. <laughs> when Gandhi walked into the throne room, I was like, the book's right there. Oh, man. So, well, let's run through the cast here quick, because there is a lot of people. Yeah, we've got to talk about that. Well, actually, you know what? We know what we should talk about. Well, yeah, talk about the cast first. <laughs> Thank you. We'll get that out of the way. <laughs> Production notes. Good to hear it all, folks. Uh, ben Kingsley, obviously, mm-hmm. is, the, is Mahatma Gandhi. Rohini Hatangadi plays his wife, Kasturba Gandhi, and I thought she was very important because she's a pretty big part of this movie. Yeah, she's great. Uh, Roshan Seth plays... Jawaharlal Nehru, the first prime minister of India, and I apologize for my pronunciations of some of these names. Candace Bergen shows up for a moment as Margaret Burke White, a real life uh, magazine photographer. Ian Charlson as Reverend Charlie Andrews, our old friend Edward Fox yes. from The Go Between as yes. Brigadier General Richard. Might Reginald, be my favorite part of this movie, <laughs> Reginald Dyer. Um, I'd like the reason that I have, but okay. Uh, John Gilgood is back as well as First Baron Irwin. John Mills as third Baron at Chelmsford. Oh, yes, of course. Martin Sheen is in this movie as Vin, uh, reporter Vince Walker. Not a real person, but based on a number of people. Kind of like in uh, Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah. Uh, Richard Griffiths as Collins. Uh, Uncle Vern. Uncle Vernon from Dursley from Harry Potter. But this is... Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Also, Jason, Nigel Hawthorne as Kinnock. Nigel Hawthorne from Madness of King George. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bernard Hill as Sergeant Putnam. Daniel Day-Lewis as Colin, of which I didn't know he had a name in this movie. Yeah, I didn't has... even know he was in this movie until Brendan mentioned it before we started. Because he has three lines. Because he's a chameleon. And finally, last but not least, blink and you'll miss him. Everybody missed him because he plays the American lieutenant driver for Margaret, John Ratzenberger. Yes. yes. I, I, I don't know if this is true, Brendan, but I feel like he was dubbed. His voice is really high in the movie. I don't remember him in this movie at all. I, well, you, you don't remember the scene? It's literally, he's driving her to, they're sitting in a Jeep, and it's Candace Bergen and John Ratzenberger, and he's talking about whatever, but it, it just doesn't sound like him. It sounds too high. I don't know if it's a, if it is him. It, it, it's like somebody was doing a John Ratzenberger impression, but they had a higher voice than he did. I want to give everyone uh, the benefit, uh, because this is an audio podcast. While Jason was talking about him driving uh, Candace Bergen around, he made a nice uh, driving wheel <laughs> Yeah, motion. well, I mean, I have to communicate it to Brendan, because he's kind of stupid, so I need to do the hand motion so he knows what I'm talking about. How dare you okay i got it now. there we go the wheels nice um but jason sum this up real quick for us what 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 is gandhi about if we want to boil this down to its brass tacks Gandhi is the story of one man mahanda gandhi who uh, uh trains as a lawyer in london he gets to play he goes to south africa he fights for indian rights in south africa and the rights of minorities sort of and uh and once he uh, feels like he's done most of his mission there, he goes back to India and starts a movement to help decolonialize uh, India, to free India from British oppression. Mm-hmm. And uh, he does a pretty good job at helping that move along. 
through nonviolent means. Moving right along. Footloose and Gandhi free. And, uh, spoiler alert, he gets murdered at the beginning and at the end of this movie. (laughs) Spoiler alert, the movie starts with his murder. His murder, yes, which really happened. (sighs) He was shot by a Hindu nationalist. It would have been weird if they made that up. All right, so so right, right out of the gate, we have to, uh... Address the elephant in the room? Well, we have to address the big fact of this movie. So this movie is about a national hero of India. This is about Mahatma Gandhi. Mm. Gandhi um, was the the figure that galvanized so many different groups to oppose the the British Raj, the mm. British rule in India. He is a revered figure in India. He is very important to their statehood. Um, and, you know, and so much of what his fight was was to get the British colonial oppressors out. Now, the great irony of this is that this is now a movie made by those very colonial oppressors, the British, and on by, a- by a British person, Sir Richard Attenborough, who's very British, and starring a British man, Ben Kingsley, who, while certainly ethnically correct for the role, as his father was from India, he was born in Yorkshire. So this is a British uh, production of this story of them being kicked out of India. On a list of the top 100, 100 British, British films. films. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so this is um, I mean, this is a, this is a story. This is a biopic. We've done a couple of these. Um, for some reason, I got vibes of the English Patient from this one a little mm-hmm. bit, and maybe because it was so long. <laughs> but I mean, this is a movie where you have Ben Kingsley. He goes on to win an Academy Award for this film. Obviously, he's a little bit browned up. Yes. I feel like there's a weird thing where he gets more and more browned up as the movie continues. Well, I mean, yes, and, and, and that seems to make sense to me because he goes from being a, you know, like a like a city lawyer to uh, living in poverty and living outside a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would make sense that his skin would darken as he was just outside more. It doesn't look like a tan, though. It looks like they're just putting brown <laughs> Well, maybe they are. Maybe they are. Uh, but, you know, but this is the thing, is maybe they browned him up, but he is ethnically Indian. He's His father is from India, and... Uh, that's much better than most other movies we've seen. It's yeah, it's kind of like it kind of reminds me of um, if anyone's seen the film West Side Story. There's uh, reports from that movie where the lead actress from that, one of the actresses mm. from West Side Story, the only Latina on the set, um, was basically told that they wanted to make her darker, her skin darker, even though she was already they wanted to make everyone's skin dark, and she's like, you know, there's light skinned Latinos, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just it's, maybe it was a lighting issue. It strikes me as uh, something similar to that, but I mean, I mean, this movie's huge. This is a three-hour movie. This movie yeah. sweeps everything. Yeah. Critics fucking love it. It's it's like perfect Oscar bait. Awards love it. It wins everything under the sun. Um, this is Richard Attenborough's dream project. We talked about Richard Attenborough a lot as an yeah. actor, but I mean, here we're talking about him as a director. Mm-hmm. He's got this massive undertaking. Yeah. He had been wanting to make this movie since 1952, Jason. Yeah. 1952 and he yeah. made it 30 years later i don't know anything that i've held on to as a dream for more than five so, years so, yeah, I was gonna say something that you thought of when you were a small child that now you could possibly accomplish yeah i mean then he tried to make it in 1952 he hmm. tried to make it in 1962 then david lean was gonna make it with sam spiegel his producing partner hmm. uh and david lean was gonna cast alec guinness as gandhi uh probably more problematic than what we have here still still i i, I bet it would have been great Here's the thing. He was going to cast Al Guinness as Gandhi. Uh, the project was abandoned. And then he's, David Lean said, Okay, Richard Attenborough, I will take your Gandhi project and you can play Gandhi. That was going to be the next... 
That was going to be the next uh, attempt. Yeah, I don't know about that. Then again, in 1976, Jason Richard Attenborough tries to tries to uh, resurrect the project, and he has Warner Brothers online. And but then suddenly, the Prime Minister Indira Gandhi is declares oh. a state of emergency in India, and and shooting there would be impossible. Mm. So I mean, they persuaded her to get to give ten million dollars from the National Film Development Corporation of India, and finally, in 1980, Richard Attenborough is able to secure the remainder of the funding needed to make the film. Yeah, he, yeah, and he probably fucking years in the making. He probably needed some cash to do it too, because this is a pretty epic film. Um. So I mean, just. Should we talk about the elephant in the room? Okay. This Gandhi's representation in this movie. Now, granted, mm. this is 1982, yeah. so I don't think it was as commonly known as it is now. This is sort of acknowledged in a blurb at the start of the movie, where it kind of, in a flowery way, is basically like, hey, everybody tells stories, and some stories are told in different ways, and you can't possibly include everything in a story, so here's a story of but a if, man. But I'm, I'm thinking in 1982, I don't even know if Richard Attenborough was aware of mm-hmm. stuff like this, because... The way I took that that opening bit was not to say that, like, hey, there's some stuff that's controversial and we're probably not going to address mm-hmm. it. I thought it was more of a, like, there's no way for us to get everything yeah. um, that you love about this man. Because, yeah. like, in 1982, I think he's still almost 100% revered as, like, this well, yeah, he, godlike figure. Well, absolutely. And and regardless of whether that stuff was known or not, it's, it's maybe not something you're going to do. Especially when you are a British guy making a movie about India and you're getting money from the Indian government. And, you know, you want to make this movie in a way that is complimentary and inspiring and not, like, uh, an expose of a biopic. I mean, that's another thing, too. I mean, we, we he's getting funding from the Indian government. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be super critical. No. It's not like we're doing, uh, you know, uh, well, actually, I was going to say it's kind of like the Freddie Mercury biopic. He had, they, they had the friggin' band calling all the shots. Like, how, mu- how many controversies do you think they're going to address about Freddie Mercury? Yeah, like, exactly. Um, but, but that doesn't mean that it's a uh, not a great film. Um, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody? Ah, <laughs> uh, sure. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I bet you it's good. Uh, it is not. <laughs> but um, but I want I just want I want to talk about the stuff here though that that they definitely is not in this film. Yeah. Because Gandhi, what I mean, was accused of being misogynistic, mm-hmm. uh, racist, mm-hmm. uh, a full on creep. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a there's a story here that I had only knew I only I knew about some of the stuff, but mm-hmm. some, one of the things I read about here, Jason, is really kind of crazy is when he was in South Africa um, there was a man who a young man who was like sexually harassing two of his female followers mm. and his solution was to tell them to cut their hair so they did not uh, uh, project sexual attraction yeah yeah that's uh, that's not necessarily a great way to go about things but that does kind of when you think about it it kind of falls in line with his philosophy of like non-violence <laughs> he also believed that condoms uh, were a sign of whoredom Huh. Well, that's and that actually tracks. Um, I know. Uh, so there's a story about him when he was younger as a vegetarian. Uh, there wasn't really a whole lot of vegetarian options in London uh, until he discovered some vegetarian restaurants. But he discovered the society and he joined with them. And you know, it was all these like you know lawyers and academics and people like that. And um, there was a fellow who was in the club who was a doctor. So this doctor, Allison was his name, was a, he had invented a new type of birth control and been promoting it, and the head of the club wanted to expel him for that reason. Now, Gandhi defended this man. Gandhi did not agree with his approach to, to having birth control, I guess. That was something he just did not agree with, but he defended this man's right to be in the club, and though um, the man was expelled, Dr. Allison was expelled from the club, uh, it was kind of the first time in Gandhi's life where he'd really stood up to somebody he respected. 
on a on a matter like that. So that kind of tracks with his uh, maybe his dislike of birth control. And I mean, I mean, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stories about how he was even awful to his wife. Yeah, he's quoted as saying, "I simply cannot stand to look at Ba's face." Mm. It was Kasturba, uh, her 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 little nickname that he get or his little nickname that he gave her. He was um, known to be a bit of a cranky puss. He said, uh, this is another quote, the expression is often like that on the face of a meek cow and gives one the feeling as a cow occasionally does that in her own dumb manner she is saying something. <laughs> uh, he even denied her penicillin when she was dying, which then, you know, she died shortly mm. after. When Gandhi had malaria, he was only too quick to take the penicillin. Yeah, that's a little strange. Well, that's the thing is that his his view on women, like he had a very like politically his view on women was that they should be of equal political status to men, but that didn't mean that he necessarily thought that they should have the same role in society as men. I think that was it. He had a particular vision of what women were for, uh, yeah, uh, in society. Even though he believed, like I say, they should have complete political equality. Well. An even bigger part of this, Jason, is his racism. Yeah. Because this is a guy now, you, you said he goes on to South Africa, he goes to India, yeah. he tries to basically get rid of the British rule. He's saying we should be... Well, we no, should, he's... In, in, not, not necessarily get he's rid not, of the, No, in India, he's not trying to get rid of the British rule. In fact, it's pretty clear in the movie, he is a loyal citizen of the empire. He right. believes that as Indians, they deserve full kind of equality as citizens of the empire as any other. But but he does want home, home-run government. Uh, he, he that's when he gets to India because, like right. I say, initially he is very much because you, you see him, he's very British, he's very assimilated, he's very much. Um, uh, I think, yeah, I, I think he sees himself as a loyal imperial citizen, mm-hmm. um, and that's what his fight in South Africa is about: is trying to achieve this uh, this political equality. Now, in the movie, we get the impression that he's trying to achieve political equality for all kind of groups, but. At this time in his life, there's there's a good amount of evidence that maybe he didn't like black people uh, in the same way that many people didn't like black people in South Africa. Well, and that's the thing. So the equality he's fighting for is all well and good, mm. but he also said a lot of things like, we should be on the same level as, you know, Europeans. Yeah. And not on the same, we should not be, have to use the same water fountain as black people. Yeah, or I, mean, uh, I believe the term that they would often use was, uh, and pardon me if there's any South Africans listening and you're offended, uh, but uh, kafir is the term. Uh, the other one I heard a lot is uh, coolie. Coolie, referring to indentured Indian laborers, and uh, yes, that's that's more of an Indian-specific slur. Mm. Um, but you know, like, that's the thing, is that you, you think back to this era, and this is in the late 1800s, early 1900s. This is in the, this is right in the fucking height of scientific racism. So you have Gandhi representing this one group of people, and he's basically trying to make an official case to the authorities. He's trying to say, like, uh, uh, look at us. Look at what we're capable of. Surely our race is the is capable of the same things your race is, so we should have political status. And now, there are certainly other races that don't have that status, such as these black people, perhaps. Uh, don't lump uh, us in with them. Yeah, don't lump us in with them is basically uh, from what I understand. Now, I don't know that this necessarily carried through his whole life. This was specifically, I think, when he was in South Africa. I, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know that there was any later indication maybe that he was as racist. <laughs> As he was back in South Africa. And in the movie, though, he actually uh, admits at one point that he kind of sympathizes with the Boers because he also has that nationalistic streak in him from home, the idea of India being ruled by Indians, right? Mm -hmm. And he sees the Boers, and he thinks, oh, maybe the Boers should also rule themselves. You know, of course, conveniently forgetting the fact that the Boers had come there from... The Netherlands and kicked out all the Zulu and Shosha and all those other people, but of which we watched in the film Zulu. Of which we watched in the film Zulu, absolutely. Let's talk about the movie. I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I, I don't want to go like in order here, but I do want to mm. start with the beginning, just because I want to talk about how this movie begins. 
like a lot of biopics begin with his death. Yes. And he is assassinated right out of the gate. Why do you think... I mean, I say spoiling the ending, but mm. we, like, obviously, if you've read anything about history, you know that Gandhi was no longer alive, yeah. even in 1982. But, I mean, why do you think movies in general, not even biopics, but why do you think movies, like, start like this? Like, because you have a movie where, I mean, in this case, like, you know it's eventually going to happen, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. But well, a lot I, of movies... I wonder if it's, if it's, like, that thing to get it out of the way. Like, and I'm going to use the example here that I would always use is Star Trek Two. In Star Trek Two, before, the, in the run-up to that movie, there was a rumor that Spock was going to die in the movie. And so... The very first scene of the movie is a simulator scene where we don't know it's a simulator at first, but uh, uh, Lieutenant Savick is doing the Kobayashi, Kobayashi Maru simulation, and uh, Spock dies, quote-unquote, in the course of that. So basically the point of that was to take pressure off for the rest of the movie because uh, the filmmakers know that they're going to kill Spock at the end of the movie, so they get that out of the way, and people think, oh, that's what the rumor was about, and then they can kind of focus on enjoying the movie and be surprised when Spock's death comes. I mean, obviously we're not going to be surprised by uh, uh, Gandhi's death because we know what happens, but the thing is with so many public figures, especially ones that are assassinated, the only thing that anybody knows is maybe the the you know, they were killed or the, the time of their death. So if you don't do that right up at the front, uh, and get it out of the way, kind of, then people are waiting for it the entire time and wondering when it's going to happen. Um, so if you just get it out of the way, have him shot, it's like, okay, that's what happened at the end, and now let's go back and see where he came from. I that's, accept- that's how I see it. I accept your answer. Yes. But I would like to say that, that the the assassination scene itself is very well done. Mm-hmm. It's one of my favorite scenes in the movie, followed by my absolute least favorite scene. Yeah. And I want to play a clip. Um, so we go right from this to the funeral. Yeah. And we basically get sports commentators mm, mm. talking about him, and I, I, yeah, I laughed at this. this. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna play this clip just to see, hear it for yourself. The object of this massive tribute died as he had always lived, a private man, without wealth, without property, without official title or office. Mahatma Gandhi was not the commander of armies, nor a ruler of vast lands. He could not boast any scientific achievement or artistic gift. Yet men, governments, dignitaries from all over the world have joined hands today to pay homage to this little brown man in the loincloth who led his country to freedom. In the words of General George C. Marshall, the American Secretary of State, Mahatma Gandhi has become the spokesman for the conscience of all mankind. He was a man who made humility and simple truth more powerful than empires. And Albert Einstein added, generations to come will scarce believe that such a one as this, ever in flesh and blood, walked upon this earth. This has been Howard Cosell. And it's not only the fucking voice that he does, I hate... This is the beginning of the movie. Uh-huh. And this movie is already like, no, love this man. You love this man. This is what he is. <laughs> he is the greatest person to ever live. And we're going to tell you about it for a solid minute and a half. Yeah, they do. And and I mean, as if it wasn't uh, evident by the massive funeral procession, which is uh, the, uh, the first irony of the movie. You know, Gandhi was this man that lived a very simple life in his later years and tried very much to... To live a life of poverty and chastity and all that sort of thing, and his funeral is this just massive blowout of, mm. a, of a funeral, which which you know obviously reflects what he meant to the nation as a whole. Which I'm okay with the funeral yeah. part; that's all fine and dandy. But it's just like this movie, 
starts out by telling me what I should feel rather than making me feel Yeah, that. and I mean, I, I think, yeah, if we just watch the movie, we'll get there on our own. That, know? to me, is like a, a, a like a real weakness as like a, like a screenplay level. You know what I mean? Like... Why are you giving me all this on the top, off the top? When I should, it should go. Honestly, it should go right from the assassination mm. to the movie beginning, where he's well, I mean, in South even, Africa. Even if they just cut that narration and just showed scenes of the funeral, just to sure. give you, just to drive home how much this guy meant to this country, for like less time, maybe. Yeah, maybe cut it, does it down last a little bit. Long. But it does show a lot of the characters that we do later see in the movie too, so it serves that purpose. I, I also wonder why they went with an American voice. I wonder if there's like a particularly iconic piece of tape that was uttered by an American, and I would try to recreate that. But okay, we need to talk about this since you're getting into the american voice doing this i had a real i had a real issue with the american characters in this Mm -hmm. movie because they are all like the whitest saviorist white Mm. saviors you could ever imagine and i'm not i'm not sure enough of the history to save i mean i know like i say the life photographer was a real person and she was the last person to interview gandhi before he died but like some of them it feels like they're kind of shoehorned in there but they're all so like pure yeah like there isn't a single thing about them that's the lovely vicar and then there's the the you know martin Martin sheen's reporter candace bergen as the journalist ian Charleston as the priest yeah. like uh, Mirabain is the uh, lady that joins Gandhi's cause mm-hmm. and then she ends up being most of the focus whenever they show his followers it's yeah. mostly her yeah it's, it's very much using that old trope of, of using white people to relate to the white people audience that the movie is honestly being made for and that's why to me this feels almost like yes it's full of like you know people with the British people and it's about you know this whole situation yeah. in India and Britain but it feels to me with this aspect, it feels like an American movie. Well, it feels I mean, like from an American POV. Especially because I don't think we see or hear one word of Hindi spoken in the movie. It, the entire movie is in English. Every sign you see is in English. Now, to be fair, certainly there would have been a lot of English in India because of the British presence. But I feel like there would have been maybe, you know, you would have heard people speaking in their native languages. I mean, there's not one scene of subtitles. No. Not at all. That actually kind of shocked me. Mm. This this movie, this like prestige picture. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think... I'm not going to say that this movie is better, but even an English patient, I'm pretty sure there were scenes with subtitles. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's that's a weird thing. Mm-hmm. It's not like a, a you know, I'm okay. I, I'm just going to get this on the table right now, sure. Jason. I'm not a big fan of this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna lay that out there. Come at me, bros. Not it didn't it, it this this movie feels like a textbook. Mm-hmm. This movie, I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like I never really got a sense of Gandhi as a person. Mm-hmm. I get the sense of what he stood for, what he fought for, yeah. but I don't think you get enough of him. I think you got a sense. I, I think this movie really gives you the sense of Gandhi as the image of Gandhi. Like You get a sense of what Gandhi has been built up to mean to the people of India and to the people of the world. I want to see more of his flaws. Yeah, it would have been nice, like, for sure. And it's not like we didn't have time to do it. <laughs> and I'm not saying you have to show him like... You know, sleeping with his grandnieces mm. naked in, yeah. to test his celibacy. Like, I'm not saying we had to portray that aspect of his life, but I mean, give him something. Like, I, I feel like in this movie, there's never a scene where I'm like, oh, he might not have made the right call there. Yeah. It's everything, scene after scene after scene, is just like him, just like other people fucking up and him, you know, fasting. Yeah. It's. I see what you're saying. Now, see, my, my opinion on the movie is slightly different. While, I, while this is one of the numerous epics we've watched, and it's certainly not my favorite of them, I would probably put most of the other ones ahead of it, mm-hmm. the, the performance that Ben Kingsley gives in this movie is fucking amazing. Oh, yeah. I completely forgot that it was Ben Kingsley. Yeah. No, he, I, he, I mean, if, if, I don't know Mahatma Gandhi. I, I don't know his personality. But you don't I f- know him? I don't know him I personally. I can introduce you. Well, I would like, yes. Do you, 
Do you, like, what are you doing this Is Saturday? he going to open our podcast next week? Because I think that would probably be a really bad idea. What are you doing this Saturday? <laughs> well, we'll find uh, something to do. Mahatma Jason but, wants yeah. you to open this podcast. No, that's a bad idea. <laughs> it is a bad idea. You're right. But, like, watching this movie, and, and I, I feel like I know who Gandhi is to some extent. Like, I feel like Ben Kingsley channeled him. And, and there's something to, uh, uh, it, it comes along, I think Roger, Roger Ebert says something similar, where he's like, he just basically just owned and channeled the very spirit of Mahatma Gandhi in that performance. And that is what kept me going throughout this movie more than anything. I mean, I was interested in the history end of it, but, like, just the compelling nature of his performance and watching him slowly evolve it over the course of the movie as Gandhi gets older and wiser and he's been through more things and he's seen more shit like it's just it's fascinating and 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 then and it and i felt really good coming out of it because the message of it is all very positive and the character is very positive and and he's got that like we see the the angle of gandhi that is kind of the 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 like kind of old man with a twinkle in his eye like he's he's doing all this stuff he's he's doing you know, he's taking terrible pain because he wants to advance something, but at the same time, there's still that twinkle in his eye, that old man. We get those moments of humor where he's with the, the reporter or whatever, and they just have these little moments, and it's wonderful. You know, I mean, I just love this performance so much. He is fantastic, and I'm yeah. not going to deny that. No, absolutely I not. just wish there was a better movie with, yeah. with this performance. Sure. Because everything around him, I find, is lackluster. Mm. And, I'm, and, and I'm, you know, there's other good performances here, too. I mean, there's a lot of, like, just, like, whatever ones. Like, Martin Sheen is in it. He... Yeah. Fine, whatever. He's fine, Candace yeah. Bergen is fine. Yep. Like, there's nobody that's bad in it. Um, ben Kingsley is obviously head and shoulders above the rest, but it's 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 a movie that I don't think really like stands up to his performance. I think part of the reason too, like, there's it doesn't give you a whole lot in terms of his like individual personality mm. and maybe even like. I mean, his early life is not portrayed. I would have liked to see a little. I mean, would you like he, to know a little bit about it? I, I mean, sure, but I just want to. I just want to say something before you get into that. It's just like I just want to. I just wanted to see, like maybe, you know, how the these uh, these ideals got got into him, got into his head. Because I'm going to tell you one thing, Jason. Mm-hmm. I don't think it was like it was portrayed in the movie where he got on the rail car, was told he couldn't be on the car, and then suddenly was like, "Wow, racism is bad." <laughs> like that's what this movie basically shows yeah. you. Yeah, so so a lot of what Gandhi's attitudes are come from, came from his mother. His mother was was a very pious religious uh, woman. Gandhi with the wind. Yeah, Gandhi with the wind for sure. Um, she was a strict vegetarian. Uh, she was kind of his like his real spiritual inspiration in life, and he loved her very much. And um, when he wanted, see, so he grew up uh, in India, and he eventually wanted to uh, become a lawyer, mm-hmm. and he wanted because he wanted to go to London and everything. And but his family was his his mother and his wife uh, who had their newborn son their first son uh, were all opposed to it well I don't know that the child necessarily was but certainly the mother and wife were uh, they were opposed to him going they didn't want him to go deal with that but he really wanted to and his brother who was also a lawyer was supporting him in it and he convinced him that uh uh, he would make a vow to not consume alcohol or meat or or get involved with women, and and I guess that was enough for them. So he went off and uh, went to school and learned to be a lawyer, and spent some time in England there. Uh, he joined the Vegetarian Society, and that story I told you, where he kind of first stood up for himself for the first time because he was a you know he was a pretty quiet guy. He was um, not a great public speaker. Mm-hmm. He did not like confrontation at all, and it made it very difficult for his career as a lawyer because that's kind of. <laughs> He wasn't really good at arguing cases, and when he went home to India for the first time after he left England, he tried to set up his own practice, but just wasn't able to argue cases effectively because he was so shy and so, like, kind of not good at social interaction. 
um, so he spent some time in India do, basically doing paperwork for people uh, until he kind of got run out by a British officer who I could not find any more information about. I didn't dig too deep, but I could have, if I pulled up some books, I might have been able to find it. But uh, I think his name was like uh, Sonny or something, Sam Sonny, perhaps. But yeah, he got run out of, he had to run out of there. So he left and went to South Africa. And that's where we pick up, where right. he's showing up in South Africa for the first time and trying to, you know, start his own, to do, get, some, get a job related to the law. Well, I mean, some of that would have been nice to see in the movie. Yeah, a little more um, of that. Another thing too that doesn't doesn't really help is I know I don't really think there's a great uh, a sense of his family life. Mm. I feel like his family life is a major part of his. It life. is. It is. And and yeah, he kind of was estranged from his sons. They did. They were involved in the marches, but like his oldest son, kind of sort of disconnected from him at one point. They still kind of remained in communication, but he was an alcoholic and he had kind of had a rough life, and apparently. Apparently people didn't recognize him when he showed up at Gandhi's funeral because he was so kind of disheveled and rough looking from his uh, hard drinking and, and kind of the dark path he'd gone down. But his other sons, you know, they also, I guess I guess there was some estrangement there, but we don't see any of that. We, we see his children very briefly in the movie and then yeah. they're and, barely referred to again. Well, and even like I find like the actress who plays his wife is, mm-hmm. is, very, is very good, mm-hmm. but she's just kind of there as a sounding board. Yeah. And I just want to I just want to like play a little clip of Gandhi talking with speaking with his wife because I feel like her role in this movie is just to like comfort him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I don't feel like she has a real character of her own. Yeah. I just, uh, anyway, just listen to this quick clip here. What is it? Sora was sent to tell me I must rake and cover the latrine. That's right. Everyone takes their turn. It is the work of untouchables. In this place, there are no untouchables, and no work is beneath any of us. I'm your wife. All the more reason. As you command. The others may follow you, but you forget. I knew you when you were a boy. It's not me. It's the principle. And you will do it with joy or not do it at all. Not at all, then. All right, then, go. You oh, don't belong here. Go, me. leave your friends. Get out. All together, we don't want to go. Have you no shame? I'm your wife! Where do you expect me to go? What's the matter with me? You are human. Do you know what I mean? She's kind of just, you're great, and yeah. we're not as great as you, but you could be human too. Like, I mean, she kind of has a character, but like, I just feel like her. She's there as a. She is board. very much a supportive wife throughout the whole movie. There's uh, not a lot of uh, deviation. And I know the movie is not called Kastarba, no. but it would have been nice to have a little bit more for her. Yeah. Um. I mean, there are some biopic tropes, too. Mm-hmm. Some big ones. We had two. I counted two times in this movie where the slow clap was utilized. <laughs> the one person clapping and then everyone else joining. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how uh, big that was in 1982, but, I mean, it, it was in this movie. 
a scene I like that I have written down here. I you know, in the priest. Uh, I think this is where we see Daniel Day Lewis actually, where the priest and uh, Gandhi are walking down the street. Yeah, uh, was this, that is, this is the Daniel Day Lewis cameo. Yeah, the Daniel Day Lewis cameo are walking down the street and they're talking, and and the priest says something, and he says, uh, uh, "We were lucky." And Gandhi responds to him, he goes, lucky, don't you believe in God? And he says, yes, but I'm not egotistical enough to think that his plan, that he plans his day around me. (laughs) (laughs) I thought that was a good line. Also, it's funny because you mentioned earlier about this whole thing about this movie being, you know, on a British woman's toot list made by British people starring a British man about the evil British. Yes. Not only that, but... um, I want. I just. I want to. I gotta know. Like, do you think this movie is being placed on the BFI top 100 as a way of? The, I mean. I mean. Yes, it's got a reputation as a classic film, mm. but as a way of like Britain just being like, hey, sorry. Maybe, but also it's like again, it, it's a it's a movie about this Indian hero made by British people all over. So I don't know that placing it on there would necessarily appease any Indian people who are like, well, maybe we worry about an Indian an Indian movie about Gandhi, perhaps, and. Uh, see how we tell his story (laughs) um you mentioned a scene early on that i really i do want to get to as well is the scene that closes out the first half of the film Mm. it's i think you know what i'm talking about the scene where they're having a giant meeting yes and reginald dyer Mm -hmm. played by edward fox who i believe we only see him in this scene and maybe one other one other scene yes um decides to just open fire on Mm -hmm. this giant crowd of people and it's almost shot like not completely, but it's almost shot sort of like documentary style. Yeah. Like a little shaky cam and stuff. And it, unlike anything else in the movie... It is one of the most like sheer scenes of pandemonium I think I've seen in a movie. And, and this is and, a PG movie, so yeah. there's not like blood and guts flying everywhere. It's not Saving Private Ryan. No. But I mean, it's it's got that it's got a real like raw edge to it that I feel like was missing in a lot of other stuff. I'm not saying the movie needed to be a fucking uh, a Mortal Kombat <laughs> splat fest, mm. but I feel like this scene is like, again, this is one of the better scenes. And it's just adding to this, Edward Fox in this movie is terrifying. Oh man, this is this is the thing. This is one of my favorite small performances in a movie we've watched. Either. This is the most opposite he could possibly be from his per- performance in The Go Between. Yes, yes. I mean, <laughs> he was a lovely he was a lovely character in The Go Between. He was lovely and he you thought he was going to be a villain. In this one, you think he's going to be a villain and he is a oh. fucking villain. So yeah, like like that whole scene is, so, is such pandemonium. I mean, obviously, but what's interesting about it to me is that the way this massacre is carried out, like you, because we see him roll in with the fucking uh, the car with the machine gun on it, mm-hmm. but they're in an area where that car can't get into, so they're just using rifles and they just fire into this crowd of fifteen hundred people indiscriminately, hundreds and hundreds of shots to a point where there's a shot we see of the piles of bullets, cape bullet casings uh, in front of each soldier, just with rifles. These guys just pulling off shot after shot after shot into the crowd there was about 1500 people in that crowd over a thousand of them were injured and 400 of them died like that was a fucking massacre i thought it was a thousand over a thousand killed the casualties they say in the movie but a casualty is either a dead or injured oh gotcha yeah so but there was over 400 dead by the time all was said and done and then the subsequent scene we see is uh uh, general dyer being hauled up in front of a board of inquiry and being questioned about it. And it is one of the coldest performances I've ever seen from an actor. Edward Fox's general is does not fuck around. He tells them exactly what he did and what he would have done. And one of the questions they ask him was like, well, if you could have got the machine gun car in there, would you have used it? And he says, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, he's, and they also ask him, if you had known there were women and children in the crowd, would you have still done it? And he said, yes. Yes, yes absolutely. He, Just... 
And, and his, his, his justification is a very cold, uh, uh, well, we needed to send a message to the rest of India, and this would have been a message, or this was a message. And, and because of that, this guy is still held in some regard by those that would be apologists for the Raj and see him as something of a hero by that's, those, those right-wing fuckheads that uh, like those sort of people. Jason... Our old friend Nigel Hawthorne was in this movie. Yes, where was he? Uh, well, let's play a little clip of Nigel right. Hawthorne. This is now. Remind so this me. is it's it's a good time to bring up this clip actually, because this is um, a year later mm-hmm. after this. Uh, Gandhi does the whole salt thing. Yeah. So basically, they walk along the beach and make their own salt, of which was a big no-no. Yeah. British well, had a. They, of, they were walking. They they walked two hundred and forty miles to get to the beach, and and yeah, getting the salt was a symbolic kind of strike against the British since right. the British controlled the salt supply in India and salt was essential to life yep. in India. And I mean, they walk right up to the salt mines and, st- and get assaulted by the guards as they yeah. keep walking towards it. There's waves, waves of guys, like five at a time, just walking up to the guards and being beaten down, carried off by the, the ladies that are with them and then sending up another wave of guys. And of course, they don't fight back because that's their whole thing, yeah. right? So um, I just want to play the little clip of Nigel Hawthorne. Sure. Mr. Kinnett. Sir, I'm... I'm afraid it's confirmed, sir. No, nothing's working, sir. The buses, the trains, the markets. There's not even any ordinary civilian staff here, sir. Is it simply Delhi and Bombay? No, sir. Karachi, Calcutta, Madras, Bangalore. It's, it's total. The army had to take over the telegraph, sir. Or, or we'd be cut off from the world. Can't believe it. He's going to sell his own paper tomorrow in Bombay, sir. They've called for a parade on Victoria Road. Arrest him. I, I, I knew he looked familiar when I saw him originally, and I thought it was just because he kind of looked like Mel Brooks. <laughs> <laughs> Mel Brooks, the madness of King George. That's right. Oi. Oi, these people are telling me what to do, but I'm the king. Oi. I think I'm going... I'm like Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> I think I'm going insane. <laughs> Why did I hire this guy as my advisor? Oh, his voice, it hurts so bad. Oh, your highness. Just stop talking. You'll be fine. Hey, oh, hey. No wonder I'm mad. You're in my eye. I have you in my eye. Oh, please let me out of your eye. Oi. Oh, that was fun. So Nigel Hawthorne is in this movie. He has a very brief role. He's great. Um, And I mean, we have other people like Candace Bergen, like I said. What do you think about her whole thing? It's fine. I mean, it's it's uh, it's funny. She in in the credits, she gets like the next credit after uh, which after is crazy Ben Kingsley, but she doesn't show up till like well two hours I think into the movie at least, which is insane that yeah. she gets second bill. But maybe that's just how popular she was in 1982. I mean, Murphy Brown wasn't even on the area. That was still 12 years away, I think, or 10 years away. Yeah, something like that. Five years away, maybe. I, I think it's like <laughs> number one Murphy Brown fan, Jason. <laughs> I did like that show as a kid. I mean, it had to be the 80s because Dan Quayle commented on it. That's right. Well, that was yeah, between 88 and 92. So yeah. yeah. I feel like when he did, it was already on the air for a oh, while. Yeah. yeah, well, because that was when Murphy was having her baby. Potato. Potato with an E. Yeah. Um, but can, yeah, Candace Bergen, again, yeah, second build. Again, that's, that's things like that, I'm like, this feels like an American Should have built Ratzenberger right after her. Why not? <laughs> and then Nigel Hawthorne. And Nigel Hawthorne, of course. Um, they have a discussion about Hitler. Yeah, very briefly in this movie because Gandhi is talking about you know passive, uh, not passive. He does never calls a passive resistance, mm-hmm. but he call he talks about resisting Hitler with nonviolent. Yeah, and then this is often the the thing that people say about Gandhi about nonviolent resistance. It's like, oh well, if nonviolent resistance works, how would you have dealt with the Nazis? And he's basically like just 
keep throwing bodies at them essentially yeah. like you can't it's like you can't kill us all just eventually eventually the bodies will gum up the machine like um i think we should hear a little bit about the british talking about gandhi this is when they're talking about the salt march that's mm-hmm. going to happen i just want to get the other side of things get the, we got a, a jason we have our, to show the imperialist we, perspective we are the fox news of podcast right. fair and balanced fair so and balanced. we need to show the imperialist perspective so let's let, let's show what what uh, good reasonable white people think there we go In this climate, so nothing lives without water or salt. Our absolute control of it is a control on the pulse of India. And that's the basis of this Declaration of Independence? Yes, sir. The day he sets off, everyone is supposed to raise the flag of free India. And then he walks some 240 miles to the sea and makes salt. I say ignore it. Let them raise their damn flags. Let him make his salt. It's only symbolic if we choose to make it so. He's going to arrive at the sea on the anniversary of the massacre of Amritsar. General Edgar is right. Ignore it. Mr. Gandhi will find it takes a great deal more than a pinch of salt to bring down the British Empire. That is one of my favorite lines in this movie, though. <laughs> it takes more than a pinch of salt to bring down the British Empire. It's so fucking cocky, just like we love, just like we love the British for. Hmm. Um, and, and like Jason, I don't want to come down on this movie too hard. I mean, I have come down pretty hard on this film, mm-hmm. but there are things that I like. I think I talked about a couple scenes that I like. Another thing I really like is the newsreel footage yeah. that they do at one point because that's a nice, like, a little bit of palate cleanser. Well, and it's and it's recreated from real newsreel footage. Like the I, I've seen a picture from the um, when they talk about him going to England and visiting the uh, um, textile workers. Uh, that is, yeah, that is a real picture on his, even on his Wikipedia page of him standing there with all these like ladies and they're all waving. And, <laughs> say on his website, <laughs> on his website, on Gandhi's website, and his 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 uh, news group. Yeah, and and so that was cool because he because ultimately Ben Kingsley really does look like Gandhi. And the other thing, the other thing about the newsreel footage though that I really like is it kind of contradicts itself too. Mm. So there's footage of like it's like oh Gandhi had a very successful meeting with the British. Whatever, and you know, he was very uh, excited to hear Gandhi's words, and you kind of see him with like a half hearted look on his face yeah. walking away from Gandhi, and you're like, he doesn't give a shit. <laughs> um, what do you think about the fact that this movie, I mean, this movie essentially, um, you know, starts out with the, the tension between Gandhi and the people of India and the British Empire, mm. and then suddenly, once everything seems to be well in place, it then turns into some like intertension between Muslims and Hindu, Hindus, and it's like it's almost like the movie saying like no matter what you do, there's always going to be disagreement. You can never have a perfect society. It's kind of like it reminds me of kind of like um, Lawrence of Arabia. Mm. Once they've conquered, you know, once they've reached that land before the British, it just falls apart. Well, it, it, we've seen it many times throughout uh, throughout history and throughout the movies we've watched. I mean, we can look at uh, Ireland, for instance. You know, once the Irish Civil War was over and they had kicked the Irish out of uh, uh, most of Ireland, it devolved into civil war between Protestants and Catholics. And mm-hmm. uh, well, I guess it more devolved into civil war between treaty and anti-treaty forces, which yeah, An- anti and uncle treaty. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then we've seen it in China after World War II. Uh, uh, you, the communists and the nationalists worked together to kick the Japanese out and then immediately started fighting each other and the communists won that one. Like it, it almost always happens in that situation. And the British, for their part, played up on that. 
Um, because, and you see this when they mention in the movie about the partition of India, because Gandhi is very much this Indian nationalist. He has this idea that all of India will be united to be a pluralistic kind of society where everybody can live there. Uh, no matter their religion or whatever. But the obviously there are, are Hindu nationalists that want their own country. There are, are Muslim nationalists that want their own country. There are Bangladeshi nationalists. There are all sorts of ethnic and, and national groups that are part of this Indian Congress that are fighting for independence that um, are, yeah, are going to have conflict once the independence goal is achieved. And the British play up on that by further, you know, uh, basically having a plan to partition India. And that's how we get Pakistan. Um, and East Pakistan, which later becomes uh, uh, Bengal, I think Bengal, after the, um, or Bangladesh, no, it becomes Bangladesh after the uh, 1971 Indo-Pakistani War, I think. But yeah, so they, they partition it out amongst these different ethnic groups and yeah, it immediately devolves into warfare almost as soon as the independence is done. Like we even see it in the movie where these two groups of refugees as Muslims are going to Pakistan uh, and Hindus from the Pakistani area are coming back to India. Like they just start fighting each other along the way. <laughs> yeah, and they have this... Um, and what's interesting is uh, the, the character the character of Jinnah, mm. who is a real, obviously a real person. The, the Jinnah, father of Pakistan. Father of Pakistan. His family was very upset watching uh, this movie. Rightfully so, because he's basically cast as a villain of he sorts. He is a straight villain. Yeah, and the guy that plays him looks nothing like him. Yeah. <laughs> Number one. Uh, uh, and yeah, he has this real villainous quality to him that he's the reason that everything's kind of being impeded. But that was not on him alone. That was across the board amongst them all. It's kind of a curious thing, too, because they have, I mean, they have the British as basically villains for most of the film. Mm. And they basically, once that's done, they kind of switch it to this guy, but it's not even historically accurate. So it's like, wait a second. You're, you're yeah, got to find somebody else to blame. And of course, in a country that is a Hindu majority that gave them $10 million to make this movie, uh, maybe maybe that was you know part of the viewpoint of the movie, that maybe the, the Muslims were not the ones that were right. It's almost weirdly racist. Yeah, yeah, who'd have thunk it? <laughs> in a movie that's, you know, seemingly about how racism is not a good thing. Yeah, and how, how unity is the better option because that's what Gandhi preaches. Right. It, it's strange. Mm. Also, uh, the only, uh, one quick thing I want to say, this has nothing to do with anything, but I kind of laughed when someone said to Ben Kingsley, move your black ass. Because <laughs> I was like, he is a white man. But that's, that's the kind of racism it was back then. If you weren't like pure, pale, Norwegian white, you were a black. Yeah. Which Gandhi didn't like to be lumped in with. No, sir, clearly, clearly not. <laughs> um, One thing I want to mention, too, before I forget, because mm-hmm. and, and this, I, I'm not going to pretend this is my idea. There's a guy on Vanity Fair whose name I should have looked up. It's Eric something, but he does these videos. Eric on, Vanity. Yeah, Eric Vanity. He does these videos on accents. Ah, uh, I've seen these. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, they're very good videos. And in one of those videos, he talks about this movie. He talks about Ben Kingsley's accent and being a superb example of how to do an accent. Because uh, throughout the movie, you see that accent change. Mm-hmm. So when you see him early on, this is he's been educated in London. He's a he's a lawyer in the British system. He has a very strong, like formal British accent. But as the movie goes on and he goes back to India, that accent changes slowly over the course of the movie so that by the end of it he sounds far more Indian in his speaking and also old um, than he did before. And it's it's a really cool thing to just... And, and knowing that going into it was really neat because I was able to watch it uh, kind of transition over the course of the film. I did like that. I like it more now that you told me that that's mm. what he's doing intentionally because yeah. at first I was like, why does he sound different? Yeah. But um, no, I do like that. that that's a, that's a, you know, a hell of an acting uh, achievement. 
Yeah, and it also like it also feels like not only as he's getting older and just that he's going back to India, but I feel like it's also kind of symbolic of him being more closely tied with India. Too, yeah, exactly. And on a, on like a you know spiritual plane, he's coming back to his roots. He's speaking in the local patter. Uh, and so, yeah, and over the course of this film, we see his his uh, approach to resistance, which is nonviolence. It's literally just not complying. Mm-hmm. You just let them do whatever they want to you, and you know what? You might die. But his point is, is that they can take everything from you, but they can't take your dignity and your self-respect, and you can't let them have it. You sounded like a Braveheart speech there. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? They take our freedom. You know what? I love that idea, and I love that the movie's about that. Mm. I just don't think... I just don't feel any... Aside from Ben Kingsley's great performance, mm. I just don't really feel a lot of it. Like, mm. it just doesn't... It strikes me as, like, it's on the page. Read it is. It. it is a. It is a painting of his life. I would say this it, movie. It's. It's. Uh, yes. Yeah, much like last week. It mm. is a painting. <laughs> no. It just feels like it feels more like something. I feel like you'd watch this movie in school. You absolutely would. And the teacher would be like, "Okay, so this is you know mostly accurate. There's some stuff in here. It, it, it hits all the major points. It's not as inaccurate. I would say as something like Lawrence of Arabia, but it you know yeah. it hits all the major points for sure. And I consider Lawrence of Arabia a much stronger film than this. Oh, I agree. Absolutely. Uh, mostly because it paints its hero with a somewhat objective light it doesn't make lawrence a fucking saint whereas in this movie again i think obviously we can agree that it has something to do with where they got their funding Mm -hmm. but there's just not enough warts on them yeah i i I don't think that that necessarily makes this a bad movie i mean i i I did like i say we obviously have different views of the movie i think this is a very very good movie a very feel-good movie by the time it's done i just wish more people going into it would have more maybe historical knowledge of what actually happened and who these people were we are allowed to disagree no no you're fired (laughs) um but i mean what am i to who am i to uh doubt l dandy this movie costs $22 million to make. It makes $127.8 million. You can't argue with pure fucking money, my friend. So, I mean... That's why Transformers Dark of the Moon is the greatest movie ever made. Uh, Jason, we have to talk. <laughs> Do you want to hear what it, like, what the Oscars? What, yeah. what it, how it does at the Oscars? Unless you have well, something. I mean, I know how it does at the Oscars. I mean, it fucking sweeps the whole fucking thing, doesn't it? I mean, do you have anything else you want to add before I get to that? Uh, or? What else should I mention? I think there was at least one more thing I wanted to mention before we get out of this. Uh, let me see. Here. So the thing about Gandhi we have to remember, too, is that uh, we, we we see a little bit of it in the movie, but this dude, this dude was a lawyer, right? This dude mm-hmm. was a smart guy. He was a shrewd guy. He was a guy who knew how to manipulate the media to his own ends and he does it in the movie because he has friends that are reporters he always gets the reporters in when they're doing something to take pictures and get their message out there i mean he gets martin sheen to to make the salt walk Mm -hmm. global yep absolutely uh when they when basically they have a general strike uh he's the one that comes up with the idea but he doesn't call a general strike because the guy's like well you're talking about a general strike he's like no i'm talking about a day of prayer and fasting so that Mm -hmm. uh, everybody will pray and fast and it'll be a lovely spiritual thing and you know you don't call it a general strike because that's like that's an aggressive thing to call it uh you know intentionally shut down everything for the british authorities but if it's a day of prayer and fasting then of course it's just a cultural thing and we'll just you know be able to do this but it shuts everything down and causes trouble and that's exactly the point well, and you mentioned his speeches. I guess we shouldn't go any further from this. We should play one of his speeches. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is when he's in India later, and he's making a speech to a large gathering of people. Let's take a listen. I praise such courage. I need such courage because in this cause, I too am prepared to die. But, my friend, there is no cause for which I am prepared to kill. 
Whatever they do to us, we will attack no one, kill no one, but we will not give our fingerprints, not one of us. They will imprison us, they will fine us, they will seize our possessions, but they cannot take away our self-respect if we do not give it to them. Have you been to prison? They beat us and torture us. I say that we I am asking you to fight. To fight against their anger, not to provoke it. We will not strike a blow, but we will receive them. And through our pain, we will make them see their injustice. And it will hurt, as all fighting hurts. But we cannot lose. We cannot. They may torture my body, break my bones, even kill me. Then they will have my dead body, not my obedience. So, and I mean, this is, of course, him talking to about, you know, if we do have our own form of government, this just sounds like it's going to be the British, but under a different name. So we should be careful about who we kind of want having power over us. This is also following a very big scene, or I guess this is before a very big scene, where they're literally burning all their British cloths, which is... Big moment as well. What's, what's also interesting about the speech too, Brendan, is that uh, in the background watching the speech are other members of the Indian National Congress. So it's mm-hmm. like Nehru and uh, Jim, Jinnah and, and many of the other people that are part of it. And obviously these people are people of means and power in India. These are people that um, you know have connections, are, are probably pretty wealthy. Um, and he's giving a speech that's very like working class proletarian, like talking about the people. You know, the, the, They may be illiterate, but they're not blind. He's, he's saying some talk that would be very uh, controversial at that time, even among his allies, uh, mm-hmm. raising these people up um, and kind of rearing up the masses. And I'm wondering if that sort of talk is why he was so popular, even in the British Empire, where you where he's popular amongst the working classes, despite the fact that he's fighting against the British Empire, they see in him themselves. They see workers uh, that are kind of being fucked over by the system, you know, and they love him for it. That he's standing up to it. But also this movie is kind of connected by his speeches because he makes it there's a number of the of big ones throughout the movie. There's at least three big mm. ones that I can think of. And like this is a, a huge movie. This is a three hour and I think three hour like twenty minutes or ten something. Ten minutes, yeah. Or is it ten minutes? And there's I mean there's three big speeches. There's South Africa, there's this one, and then there's one later when they're burning their cloths. And then there's one and I think that makes another moment there's a little moment in this movie that I really like. Because, guys, I could say positive things about this movie. Mm-hmm. Another really moment that I really like is uh, when he goes to make a speech later in the film, and it's going to be against the war effort, mm-hmm. World War II. Yeah. And they basically confront him as he's going to the speech and say, Are you about to, what are you to speak on? And he says, he jokingly says something like, The, the, the benefits of a vegetarian lifestyle, mm-hmm. and also against the war. Yeah. And they're like, Well, we're going to have to. Uh, stop you we're not gonna ask you not to speak and he goes i'm going to speak so they arrest him yeah. and his wife is like well then i'm going to speak about it. and they arrest her and ultimately you know it leads to her dying in prison mm-hmm. but i think that's such a big 
uh, step the British take against him is stopping one of his speeches. Yeah. I think that's like the biggest thing they could have done to and, stop and that's him. something they probably didn't want to do because we can see throughout the movie that they are they understand his game they know what he's doing and they know because at one point they're even like arrest anyone except Gandhi yeah because <laughs> we will make him a martyr yeah and they don't want to do that if he especially if he's hurt yeah if he's killed mm-hmm. um, I mean that's the biggest thing when he's assassinated at the beginning of the film and I guess at the end of the film he becomes a martyr yeah uh, for peace you know what I mean so I mean ultimately I'm sure he didn't want to be assassinated no. but ultimately I think he'd be happy by the results of that well you can tell because when, when he gets shot he goes oh god like he oh, wasn't expecting it and it's was, crushing yeah <laughs> Um, but yeah, let's get let's get to the Oscars. All stuff. right, tell us about these Oscars that year. What was I mean, in, what was in the mix? I mean, it it does okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's all it's nominated and doesn't win for the following awards: uh, best original score, which is won by E.T. Oh, best sound, which is also won by E.T. Oh, best makeup, which is won by okay, okay, Quest for Fire. So really, Quest for Fire is an Academy Award winning. And it film. beat E.T. for makeup. I guess uh, E.T.'s not a, a person. I don't know if E.T. was nominated. I'm assume, assuming it was. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> E.T. is just the... He's a puppet. <laughs> yeah. Here's what it wins. Best editing. Mm-hmm. Best cinematography. Which it wins over E.T. and Das Boot. And I'm just going to say, I don't know about mm, that. I really like Das Boot cinematography. Best art direction. Best costume design. Best original screenplay. Of course, best director, Richard Attenborough. He wins over Wolfgang Peterson for Das Boot, Steven Spielberg for E.T., mm. Sidney Pollock for Tootsie, and mm. Sidney Lumet for The Verdict. Mm. Uh, Heavy hitters all. Yeah. Best actor, Ben Kingsley. Of course, he wins. Uh, other nominees were Dustin Hoffman and Tootsie, mm-hmm. Jack Lemmon in a movie called Missing, Paul Newman in The Verdict, mm. and our old friend Peter O'Toole for My Favorite Year. I heard that movie's great. I want to watch that sometime. I've heard a lot about that movie, yeah. It wins Best Picture. Other nominees include The Verdict, Tootsie, Das Boot, and the movie that, honestly, if we're talking about standing the test of time, I feel like this should have won, E.T. Das Boot. E.T. Das Boot. <laughs> E.T. should have won. I mean, uh, Das Boot should have won. Das Boot is a great fucking movie. Now, I don't know the, what version of Das Boot was nominated, because I think that may have been the two-hour version, but the four-hour version is superb. But I'm just saying, like, I mean... You certainly, have, certainly, E.T. has stood the test of time as a cinematic, uh, uh, you know, like like a legendary cinematic film. I feel like the Oscars are the lit, litmus, te- litmus test, and I think if you look at the older Oscar award ceremonies, you see which one best picture, you're like, out of Africa? Yeah. Who the fuck has seen that? that? That has fucking Bogey in it and Catherine Hepburn. No, no, no. You're thinking of the African Queen. Right, you're right. Yeah, out of Africa is a film <laughs> is that, that Gregory Peck, maybe? No one has seen <laughs> But but even even if you go back to recent years, like there are, are best picture winners that are movies that who thinks of Chicago anymore mm. or 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 Crash other than as the punchline of like oh Crash won best picture that year. I like Crash. <laughs> I do. Um, but I yeah no I think it's I think it's just another, it's just the Oscars. I feel like the, I feel like it's not always the best decision. No, certainly I, not. I, they, I, English Patient won best picture for Christ's sake. There you go. This is not as big of a crime, but it's, no, certainly it's, not. I still don't think you can't. Uh, you can't. I mean, it, like this movie or Haiti, you can't put it in the same category as the English Patient. You really don't like the English Patient. I really don't. At the Baftas, this is nominated for best makeup. This is the word ones that doesn't win. Best makeup, best screenplay, best production design, best sound, best costume design, best cinematography, best editing, best supporting actress Candice Bergen. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, she's not bad, but I mean, no, she barely has enough screen time to warrant uh, anything. Best film music. Best Supporting Actor, Roshan Seth, 
who of course plays uh, Nehru, mm-hmm. which I, I think that was, I think that's a deserved one. No, he's great. Yeah, uh, he and actually ben, and he actually looks like the guy too. And for his brief five minutes of screen time, Edward Fox nominated for best supporting. Thank actor. God, I was just going to say that he should have been nominated for that that role. It wins at the BAFTAs, best director. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wins a category called newcomer to leading to a leading film, and that's Ben Kingsley. Mm-hmm. Best Supporting Actress for Rohini Hattangadi as oh, his very wife. Very nice, very yeah. nice. Even though I feel like her role is super well, She's great. She's, she's good. wonderful in that movie. Yeah, uh, I just don't feel like she has anything to do. I'm upset. Mm-hmm. I, me too. Best Actor, Ben Kingsley, of course. Yeah. And Best Film, Best Overall Film. Uh, this movie got love across the board from Newsweek, Time, Time, Washington Post, Film Quarterly, The Progressive, and of course Roger Ebert, who mm-hmm. loved the movie. Yeah. Uh, among the few people, though, that took kind of a negative, more negative view of the film, kind of, I guess, uh, my spirit animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, a historian named Lawrence James called it pure hagiography. <laughs> Akhil Gupta said it suffers from tepid direction and a superficial and misleading interpretation of history. Mm-hmm. In the DVD edition of the 1998 film Jenna, which is, of course, about the character Jenna, uh, the director's commentary makes mention of the movie Gandhi, in which the director and Christopher Lee um, basically said that in the film Gandhi, they really demonize Jenna, mm-hmm. and they weren't uh, big fans of it. Yeah. And, and didn't Christopher Lee play Jenna in that movie? <laughs> Did he? I believe so, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, there's throwing rocks from glasses. <laughs> but yeah, so... I mean... I appreciate parts of this movie. It just... I'll reiterate this. Mm-hmm. It feels like a textbook. It yeah. feels like a textbook. feels like a, a school lesson with a really strong lead performance. A good supporting ones. And just not like... I don't know. Not like a whole lot else. I was just kind of... It just kind of washed over me. Well, and it might have the issue that epics often have. Is that they're just so big. And then sometimes it's hard to kind of keep everything, you know consistent throughout the whole thing but but for me this movie is the performance is just one of the best performances ever put on screen i would say uh, mm-hmm. from ben kingsley there uh and there are others too that he has done he's an amazing actor uh we'll get to that um uh, and and the look of this movie i love how this movie's shot i i love the landscapes i love the the vistas of india of seeing the just sheer amount of people that they have in these scenes these mass gatherings of people that must have actually come close to resembling what those must have looked like in the 30s and 40s and 20s and, and across the board um this this, this movie I, I feel like it gives me a real good sense of that era i mean we could debate all day whether it's a piece of propaganda or whether it's uh you know accurate movie but i just mm-hmm. i i feel like it, it is a good introduction to that story and hopefully that would be the thing that would encourage somebody to dig deeper and learn you know what actually happened as far as that goes but this is yeah it's a great introduction to um indian history i suppose or at least of that era of the end of the raj it's 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 really weird because like i, I watched this movie and i i this one i only watched once mm-hmm. because it's a well, three-hour film yeah i don't blame and, you. you know i have a full-time job yeah um but like generally I watch it and I'm like try to formulate kind of an opinion about it and I just thought to myself I was like do I dislike this movie mm. like I, I surprised myself because mm-hmm. I thought this would be one where I like maybe you know didn't love but like mm-hmm. appreciated and enjoyed and I just had a hard time with some of it yeah. and well it's not the worst movie we covered on this list Certainly for me not. yeah it's just yeah isn't it fun to think that there's an alternate universe somewhere where where David Lean made this movie with uh, 
Alec Guinness. With Alec Guinness and, and also at the theater around that same time is Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon movie. I would love that. Yeah. I, not, not the Gandhi thing, but <laughs> Stanley Kubrick's Napoleon movie. I would yeah. love to see. Um, just think of all the... Uh, all the colors. Mm. Oh, the colors of the French troops. Oh. And I'm, su- I'm assuming the uh, gang sex scene. Well, obviously. The group sex. <laughs> Tom Cruise was going to be in it, right? Yeah, absolutely. He was a small boy, but he was going to play uh, Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course. He was yeah. a small man. Exactly. Okay. Well, we've discussed Gandhi. I well, think it was fun. I like I liked doing it like this. If you're reincarnated once in your life and need to watch a movie when you come back, Gandhi's the movie to watch. And I say, Whatever. <laughs> so that was Gandhi. Gandhi, uh, yeah, yeah, quite a quite a thing. Anyways, uh, I, I I I enjoyed having this discussion yes. in this manner. Yes, this, this was, was good. A lot more loose. It was a lot looser. It was a lot less work for me up front. Yep, we got to just kind of let the conversation take us, take us where we may. Come what may is what I say. And Jason. We're not leaving Ben Kingsley right now. No, not at all. Because next week we are starting a very special uh, two-part episode. Where well, uh, yeah. Yeah. Bread Packs. You know what I mean. What are, what are we calling it? Bread Packs. I love that. We're starting with Bread Packs. So, what Jason, this is another uh, Jason McLeod original. Bread Packs. <laughs> I'm going to strike you. <laughs> uh, it's called Brit Packs, in case you didn't hear that. Um, so, Jason, explain your, uh, your little idea here. Well, the basic idea is that uh, I'm a selfish man, and sometimes I want to have control of what's going on, and then next week we'll let you uh, do that. Uh, but for this week, I'm in control, and I'm going to pick a British film that I like a lot that isn't on this list that I think, uh, you know what, should at least be in consideration for any future list they make. So next week, we're picking a movie that is very near and dear to me, and this was not planned. This was just the way the dice rolled. Uh, this is a movie that's very near near and dear to me and, and one of my favorite performances in a movie ever and, and coming hot on the heels of Gandhi, this is an appropriate movie to watch. We are going to watch 2000's Sexy Beast starring Ray Winstone and Ben Kingsley. And in this movie, Ben Kingsley plays a gangster who is fucking insane. So and he's is, basically Gandhi? Oh yeah, he's, he's basically Gandhi. He's, he's, he, okay, so when we're watching this movie, folks, I want you to watch this and pretend that this is the other side of Gandhi. This is the side we didn't see. So this is what's going on in the background when Gandhi's not like out walking around being like kind of fun old man. He's he's Ben Kingsley in this movie. I'm, I'm hoping it's like a Tango and Cash situation <laughs> where Stallone had that line where he's like, Rambo was a pussy. <laughs> oh, I'm fucking Gandhi, I am. Oh, fuck you. I'm with my Gandhi stick. Don, Gandhi was a fucking pussy <laughs> I want that line want Ray that. Winstone will say that, in okay, that exactly in that accent too excellent what do you mean the nonsense accent That's I just right. did yes <laughs> so yeah so we are going to take a two week break from the list but I mean it's still going to be a full mo- a full episode on full a movie. episode absolutely so sexy beast mm-hmm. and then the following week I will unleash my film and we will find out then what that film is yes but what Jason Brandon you can find us on the social media. You can find us on Facebook. Just search for For Screen. I'm good, dry. You can also find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can also find Jason on Twitter. At Jason D. McLeod. That's Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. That's Jason D. McLeod on Twitter. And you'll see a lot of repeated tweets because apparently Jason has the goldfish of a memory. <laughs> and apparently I can't talk. Nope. So we've got that going for We're us. We're a great pair, the two of us. Uh, Just check out me retweeting myself. With that being said, Jason, next week we're going to talk about a sexy beast. Sexy beast in Ben Kingsley. 
But until then, I just have to say to you, God save the queen. God save the screen. And for Screen and Country, I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. We are sexy beasts. Mm. Mm. I'm going to get some of that homespun and just start walking around in my underwear. About that. You can't stop me. I was born by the river In a little tent Oh, and just like the river I've been running Ever since It's been a long A long time coming But I know A change gonna come Oh, yes it will It's been too hard living But I'm afraid to die Cause I don't know what's up there Beyond the sky It's been a long A long time coming But I know Hey, I heard you like movies. I heard you like to hustle. I heard you like podcasts. Well, guess what? There's a podcast for you out there called The Home Video Hustle. Damn right. Every Friday, we talk about whatever movie PJ picks out the bag. What does that mean? Every Wednesday on our YouTube page, I put a bunch of movies in a bag and PJ picks one out at random. And then we just watch it. We talk about it for maybe like an hour, hour and a half, two hours. Whatever we feel like doing, wherever the conversation leads us. But do we actually talk about the movie? Most of the time. Ah. Tangents galore. Yes. So believe me, we may be a movie podcast, but it's not always about movies. We might talk about video games. Mm-hmm. Music. music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. the big one, music. Uh, sometimes we might get a little bit of politicalness in there. Yes. Sometimes we may just, oh, we know what we like to do. We like to tell stories, PJ. Ah, yes. I am the master storyteller <laughs> yes. of the podcast realm. <laughs> Undefeated. So if you like to hear about movies, video games, whatever foolishness comes to our mind, the most random stuff you can think of, check out the Home Video Hustle. You can find us on the Stitchers, yes, the Google Play, yes, Apple Podcasts, what else? Podbean, what else? Podcast Addict, goddamn, all that. Ain't no reason you can't get your hustle on. We everywhere, worldwide, baby. Hustle, motherfucking hustle. Hey, we can't cuss in the promo, PJ. Ah, we gotta be family friendly. There may be podcasts out there that don't want his hair to say. Ah. Yeah, all that good fun stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> f- you. <Yeah. laughs> no, don't, don't run the listeners away, Pete. Ah, I'm sorry. But this is going kind of long. Yes. So we'll end this and say, hey, check out the Home Video Hustle every Friday on all the various podcast outlets. Peace. Peace.